0: Welcome to Virtual Economy, a podcast about the business of games for the rest of us. We're your hosts. I'm Amanda Farrow. And
1: I'm Michael Footer. Err.
0: Er. <laughs> okay.
1: Err. Er. Err. Err. It's me, <laughs> Michael Footer, the Dread Pirate
0: Earnings. <laughs> Dread Pirate Earnings. Okay, well, that's neat. Each episode, but apparently not this episode... We'll cover the biggest business beats and bring in an expert commentary from lawyers, analysts and industry pros. This is episode 128. You can stop buying GTA 5 now. Please. How old is this damn game at this September
1: 2013?
0: 2013? September 2013. In the... I... It's 2022.
1: Hold that thought, though, because while we are starting with something related to Take-Two, we are not talking about Take-Two until the very end of the show because we are reporting out the earnings, effectively in the order they were reported out by the companies. And Take-Two just went today.
0: They weren't even supposed to be in this episode They were not supposed to, in fact, have gone here. Yes. They were supposed to have been for our news episode. So
1: look, this is in fact the biggest earnings show we've ever done, and we're going to try to move through it relatively quickly. We actually have three earnings quick hits, and if you're lucky, I'll sing the song.
0: Ooh. Ooh. Uh,
1: But we are kicking off today with Zynga's... First quarter 2022 earnings because they're on a calendar year cycle. They are. So they won't be for long, though. No, that, that
0: closing date's coming up fast. Real
1: fast. So, Amanda, walk us through Zynga, please.
0: So even in the midst of Take Two's acquisition, Zynga is still doing what Zynga does. Crushing it on mobile. But remember that long tail pandemic slump that we've been talking about? Well... We're definitely in it.
1: So this is a theme that you're going to hear a lot throughout this episode. You're going to hear about a bit of contraction. Now, we we believe pretty firmly now that we are not going to return to pre-pandemic levels of spending. It means that we're not going to lose everybody that the gaming industry picked up when we had nothing else to do except play games. So all those people who were played video games as a kid and wanted to come back and pick up a console, all of those people who... Uh, had never gamed before, but thought it would be this was the right time because they were stuck inside and didn't have anything else to spend their disposable income on. A lo- Some of those people are going to go back, go away. Experiential spending has returned. So that's concerts, travel, all of that stuff. But there are people who are going to stick around. And those people who stick around, maybe they'll stick around at the same level. They'll become core consumers. Maybe they'll be more further on the periphery. That doesn't mean they're not gamers. It just means that they might not spend at the levels they did during the pandemic.
0: We're still in the pandemic, just to be clear. Okay, in the height of the
1: lockdown, let me put it that way then.
0: We are no longer sheltering in place. Yes, there it is. Okay. Well, now that we know that, the long tail pandemic slump that we've been talking about and that we have been talking about literally since the beginning of mm. this show because the one of the if you're if this is your first episode with us, we've been doing this now for Two years? two years two plus years two, two years and two months two years and change and when we started it it was kind of it was kind of our way of cataloging what in the heck was going on in the game industry at the time like getting getting an idea and getting a handle on what was going on so that we could better understand what the future might bring
1: but also we were we were those people who started a podcast during the pandemic
0: Okay, but in our defense, we were going to start this podcast anyway.
1: We were. Actually, for again, for those of you who were joining us for the first time because you saw that tweet about GTA 5 blow up on Twitter, welcome. We're so delighted to have you here. Get ready for some fun. We promise. We're not going to quiz you later. I will. She will. <laughs> so we actually had a deal to do this podcast with a major outlet, and that deal fell through because the pandemic changed everybody's funding profiles yep so we just said you know what, we're doing it on our own yep and here we are two plus years later doing it on our own
0: still still doing it our way all
1: right so what is going on with zynga
0: let's talk about what's going on with zynga so revenue is up two percent year over year to 691 million dollars net bookings are down three percent year over year to 695 million dollars and net losses were up 7% year over year to 25 million. So, the reason for the net loss is because they they completed the final earnout payments related to the acquisitions of Small Giant Games and Rollick, which was totaling $265 million.
1: Interestingly, this is going to be a theme that, that we hear at the end of the show would take too.
0: Yeah, absolutely. This is like we are still hot on the heels of one of the hottest years in gaming acquisition and mergers you know, in 2021, and there were a lot of companies mm-hmm. that I, were...
1: I wonder if we're going to see inflation and the interest rates start to cool
0: some of the deal-making. We'll get there on our news episode, yes. because we have some thoughts. So that's the reason why we are looking at net losses of around $25 million. Advertising, on the other hand, is scoring huge points. Advertising and other revenue for Zynga was a Q1 record of $154 million, which is up 24% year over year. Advertising and other bookings reached its highest Q1 performance of $167 million, which is up 35% year over year. What did I tell you? Yeah.
1: Yeah. I told you. Well, that was one of the things that's been really interesting about Zynga is that while everybody else was suffering advertising problems, they just trucked along during the pandemic.
0: And that's not just because their, their forever franchises were impervious to these problems. We're seeing it in terms of their net bookings that they're not impervious. Mm-hmm. But what they've done is they have invested really intelligently in ad tech. Yep. And ad technology is a big reason why we're seeing these big gains for Zynga in terms of their advertising. No doubt. No doubt. So engagement is also holding steady. Daily active users were at 40 million players, which is up 3% year over year. And monthly active users were 209 million players, which is up 27% year over year. Okay.
1: Okay. So obviously they didn't do a call because it's not, it, it's common when you're in the middle of an acquisition to not hold your earnings calls. You're not answering questions from investors, from, uh, from investment bankers, et cetera. So it was a
0: real shame though, because there's, and I've said this, this is the second quarter that I've said this, that I've always really liked the conversation coming out of Zynga, especially since Frank took over. Those conversations have always been so intelligent, Mm -hmm. so insightful, and it's a really interesting look at what is going on in the rest of the mobile, the mobile gaming sphere, so to speak. Yes.
1: So we'll hear from Frank Chabot after the Take-Two acquisition likely closes very, very soon because he will be on the call. And in fact, he's going to be taking over pretty much all of Take-Two Mobile.
0: Yeah. I mean, he'll do great things with it, I'm sure, But again, I've got some I've got some big reservations in terms of how good this is for Zynga.
1: Yeah, it's going to be really interesting. Any other big takeaways on Zynga?
0: Um, No, I think that Zynga is just kind of holding the line right now. They don't they haven't had any big launches in a little while. And that's partly because, you know, we're still dealing with the ripple effect with working under quarantine. Mm -hmm. And this is the year where we're really going to feel it we're really going to feel it this year and we've seen it already with a number of AAA titles being bumped out either for later this year and they were due out now or in the next quarter um or bumped out just completely out of the year mm-hmm. entirely so this is this is this is the year where we feel that that working under quarantine crunch.
1: Yep, absolutely. All right, so next up, uh, we're going to be talking about the other two first parties. We talked about Microsoft last week,
0: I believe. We did.
1: So we've got Nintendo, and then we've got Sony.
0: We do. So Nintendo's usually the one that I hang out with Mm -hmm. because Nintendo, you know, makes big money moves, and that eight-fold number that happened way back at the beginning of the pandemic. Remember those big numbers? Man, they did big numbers. They're not doing big numbers right now i mean they are and they aren't so let's talk about nintendo's full year for fiscal 2021 net sales were down 3.6 percent year over year to 1.695 trillion yen or 13 billion dollars u.s mm-hmm. net income was down 7.5 percent year over year to 592.676 billion yen or 4.5 billion dollars now even though things are depressed, Nintendo decided. You know what? We're gonna we're gonna do a thing that companies only do to show the strength of both their stock and their long term outlook. All right.
1: So let's talk about this for a second. First up is a stock split. Yes. Yeah, so Mike. You- yes.
0: What is a stock split, and why is it significant?
1: Sure. So when your stock price climbs really high. Uh, what tends to happen is companies evaluate what's the best way to return value for shareholders to continue that, that share price growth, etc. One of the things they might do, and we've seen this a number, a number of times, we've seen this from a number of companies, they'll do what's called a stock split. So let's say you have one share of Nintendo stock and the stock is priced at $10. I'm making this up. This, the. Prices significantly Definitely higher than that.
0: not
1: $10. But the numbers are easy. Yes. If when you have an even... Like a, a one to two stock split, you're doubling the number of, of shares outstanding and you're cutting the price in half. So if you held one $10 share prior to the stock split, at the moment of the stock split, you would then have two $5 shares. The idea here is you're giving the stock headroom to grow. Now, I believe... I saw somewhere and and maybe you have this in your notes um, that they're looking actually at an 8-fold stock split or something like that.
0: I don't know they didn't really go into it in their financials.
1: It's a it's a big split by the way.
0: It's a very big split.
1: Do uh, I'm going to go off on a on a quick little tangent reverse
0: stock splits are a thing. This is this is actually something I do want you to talk about because when we talk about stock splitting, mm-hmm. my first encounter with stock splitting was the reverse stock split of with uh, with THQ.
1: So, when you're in trouble, you what you might do is you might merge shares. So you would re- significantly reduce by a factor of x. Now that could be 2, 4 in THQ's case, I believe it was 6 reduce the number of shares. And any fraction shares get lost, by the way. So if you had shares oh, that were worth for 10 cents each, and you had a, uh, a six-fold uh, reverse stock split, you would have one share at 60 cents at the end. That is a sign of terrible weakness, and it's, it's really hard to pull out of that tailspin, and there are reasons why you do that. We're not going to go down that road right now. It is way too long a conversation. If you want to talk about, if you weren't around in 2012, 2013, THQ was um, was one of my first major stories in the industry. I'm glad to talk to you about that. Glad to answer any questions that you might have. We're just not going to go down that road right now.
0: It was a great story. Well, I, remember, I remember reading it. It was a great story. Uh,
1: the other thing they're looking at, though, is a stock buyback.
0: They are looking at a stock buyback. And this is another sign of Nintendo wanting to show investors that the the company is still going strong. So what how would you define a stock buyback? It's- I can tell you why it's good. But you always have the better definition. Okay.
1: So it's actually interesting to see these two at the same time. I know. It is because what happens is with a stock split, you are exponent or you're not exponential. You're, you're multiplying the number of shares outstanding. Your market capitalization, by the way, is how we look at the, the size of companies. It's the number of shares times the share value equals the market capitalization. That's right. So one of the things that you can do is you show strength to your, to your investors by buying back stock that's, that's free flowing out in the that's market. That's
0: outstanding.
1: Exactly. And the reason you do that is it actually reduces the number of shares that are out in the market, increasing the value of each share. So if you do a split and you increase a bunch of those, um, you increase the number of shares by a factor of potentially eight in this case, you're going to go out there and you're going to actually spend money from your war chest. So you're, it's called, the typical way that people look at a stock buyback is reinvesting in the company right. for the benefit of shareholder value.
0: Which is what I was going to say is like that is one of the key ways that a company, that a big corporation can demonstrate their confidence mm. in the longevity of their earning potential. Yep.
1: So at the same time, they're, they're drastically, they're planning on drastically increasing the number of shares and they're going to buy back a number of shares, which helps counterbalance some
0: of that, I think. Yes, I agree. So I
1: think that's what the strategy is here. It is a very, very interesting strategy. I I can't wait to see it play out.
0: It's going to be really interesting. I'm going to see if I can find uh, find this that on the, on the stock split, I might've just missed it because my brain not working so great today. I think I saw it before the earnings. They were talking about it though. Um, I know that the Motley Fool. No, it's not an
1: 8. Is it 16?
0: It's a 10. 10, okay. It's a 10.
1: All right, so they're going to so, they're going to increase the number of shares by a factor of 10. It's not going to change the market capitalization at the moment of the split, but uh, the assumption is that it's that the number that the share of price is going to grow immediately following the split, which is going to shoot the market cap up.
0: Yes, I agree. So currently the market capitalization for Nintendo is sitting at 52 billion dollars US. Okay. Okay. Their current stock price per share is $54.57. Mm-hmm. They went down almost 2% today, but it is what it is. That's just the, the that's tech, just the way uh, things go. The entire go right market
1: now. is complete completely fucked right now. It's, it's ex- not great.
0: It's extremely depressed. So it's really, really interesting to me that and that's why I was so excited for Mike to talk about it, because he is like, you know, he has his actual MBA and I only have my street MBA. So I don't always know this, like how to define things, but I know why they're important. So there we there we have it initiating a 10 to one stock split and then then doing a a stock buyback. Which increases the value of those shares. Exactly. And part of the reason, if if I had to do a little bit of like on the fly analysis here, is part of the reason why they would want to do that is because the market is so depressed right now. Yeah.
1: I, again, you're taking one fifty four dollars share and turning it into ten five dollar and forty cent shares. Correct. Yeah. I think that makes a lot of sense right now.
0: Yeah. I because agree. they're
1: not doing poor, Nintendo's not doing poorly. They're doing extremely well.
0: They are. I mean. 1.695 trillion yen is not anything to sneeze about. Mm-hmm. So at any rate, that's what's going on with stock splits and stock buybacks. I'm really glad that we have that conversation. Thank you for bringing your exemplary knowledge to the table. Why, thank you. My pleasure. So let's talk a little bit about how sales are going right now. So Nintendo Switches and games are selling better in the Americas than they did at this time last year. Is that
1: a supply issue? Now, is that is that they've been able to increase supply?
0: I will get to that because there was a couple of really great and insightful questions during their Q&A, which rarely happens. So we're, we're going to get into that because uh, Nintendo's president actually talks about that a little bit with what's going on with Switch sales. But this is specifically within the Americas. Mm-hmm. It has not fallen off a cliff anywhere else. It hasn't fallen off a cliff at all unless you look at the Nintendo Switch Lite, which we'll get to in a second. The important thing to remember, though, is that at this time last year, Switches and games were not selling as well in this region. Mm. Now this region is doing better than all the other regions very in terms of growth. Okay. It's just, it was very, very interesting. So as I said, sales for the Switch Lite dropped off a cliff. It dropped mm. off a cliff. It would think it, I think they sold, oh my goodness... They, they haven't, they didn't sell very many of them at all. It was, it was ridiculous altogether. Like they're not selling nearly as well as they had during this time last year. And this time last year, they didn't, they weren't selling as well as they had at the beginning of the pandemic. Yeah. So that's kind of what we're looking at here is we're looking at how that trajectory has moved for the switch light as we see that uptick with the switch OLED. Mm. And I'm going to get into that in a second. So switches overall have sold 107.65 million units life to date.
1: That's a good number. It's a That's a real good number. Big
0: number. That's a big number. Creeping up on uh PS2, right? I think so, yeah. Yeah, I think so. So anyway, as far as as far as you know the depressed hardware sales are concerned, software was up. Pretty much all across the board, it was a it was a global increase, except for in Japan. Mm-hmm. Japan was the only place that we saw this. It was, but even then, it was very marginal. Like mm-hmm. we're talking single digits, maybe two to three percent that it had fallen off in Japan in terms of these software sales. So all in all, a strong year for Nintendo. They are going to continue to run up against extremely difficult comps. Mm-hmm. As we go through the year.
1: I think everybody's going to be hitting that problem with cops. I agree.
0: I absolutely agree. So we actually have a couple of great questions that came out of the Q&A. Which, which is, is, is amazing. Which is honestly...
1: Because the Q&A is usually a they're clown they usually show.
0: terrible. It's 100% of the time clown shoes. The reason
1: why that is is because unlike in the West where you have... Investment professionals, brokers asking questions on the calls. Literally, any shareholder can ask a question at the at like Nintendo's meeting.
0: The nice thing about this is that it looks like that if they had had any of that, they didn't translate it. Okay. So we just got we got the really good questions. So one of the first questions that Shantaro Furukawa was asked, and he's the president at Nintendo, is. What's going on with switch sales?
1: And what is going on with switch sales?
0: So here's his here's his response. This is a direct quote from uh, Furukawa. As the global shortage of semiconductors and other parts continues, we are still experiencing difficulties in the procurement of necessary components. There remain uncertainties within our plans for hardware production. Considering this production situation, we decided to set our hardware sales forecast at 21 million, which is a decrease of about 2 million units year over year.
1: Now, I want you to keep this in mind as we move into Sony in a little bit.
0: Yes. Yes. I'm very excited to talk about Sony (laughs) and learn all about what's going on with them because there is some there is some stuff happening. So another really great, great question here. Came from, came from another, another really insightful analyst, Mm -hmm. which, and this is a direct quote, it seems improbable that you would be able to achieve 1.6 trillion yen in net sales, unless an extremely large portion of your sales come from Nintendo Switch OLED model. What's the ratio?
1: It's a really good question.
0: It's a great question. And I don't think I've ever seen this question asked of Nintendo Mm. Ever. And they've, they've had different hardware models for a number of years. If you've been around through the 3DS and the DS Lite and the DSi and the DS, like you, then you remember. You remember what this looked like. So this is what um, Furukawa had to say. We believe this model will represent, a, and this model, they're talking about the OLED edition, will represent a larger portion of hardware sales. Out of sell-through figures for the previous fiscal year, about 25% of overall hardware purchases were made by those who already owned a Nintendo Switch system. Now, if you'll recall from last, around this time last year, Furukawa was saying that what he wanted more than anything was multiple Switches in a home. They were moving away from new user acquisition to remaining one of the big pieces of a console household. Right. And that's aided by the switch having that handheld factor. Absolutely. It's a hybrid. It's a hybrid experience. So it's easier to justify, okay, well, you know, we're going to get the little kids switch lights and we're going to get, you know, you're going to get a switch OLED. I've got my animal crossing. Like, I'm not Mm -hmm. saying that we're doing that. We don't have switch lights. We
1: don't, we don't need that. We have six switches in this house.
0: Yes. Because we have been replacing switches along the way with other switches. We
1: also have three kids that now have those old switches.
0: Hold that thought though. About 30% of Nintendo Switch Lite unit sales were repeat purchases. Mm-hmm. So they were it was demand for additional Nintendo Switch systems after the first, and 40% of Nintendo Switch OLED model unit sales were repeat or replacement purchases. In order to achieve our forecasted sales of 21 million units, it will be essential to maximize demand among both first-time and repeat purchasers. Furthermore, we believe the proportion of Nintendo Switch OLED model sales will grow along with the increase in demand for multiple systems. This is the strategy. This has been the strategy for the last 12 to 18 months. Mm -hmm. This is what Nintendo wants.
1: Absolutely. Now I know that you and I talked about it. There wasn't a whole lot of variation on the Switch software. Sure. No. There are a couple of things that stood out to me that I wanted to surface. Sure. One, great. Um, three DS software sales have actually spiked a little bit with the news that the that the uh, e shops are shutting down.
0: That's great. That's a that's a good. Yep. That's a good get.
1: Yes. And the other thing, mm-hmm. uh, apparently, Advance Wars now has a very fuzzy, sometime this fiscal year date uh, release date. It's a tough one. It's yeah. a
0: tough one in the cl- in world, in the world's climate right now. Yes.
1: Um, and of course, like Breath of the Wild 2, Bayonetta, is, Metroid Prime, like all that stuff is kind of like. It's very just like, fuzzy.
0: And like I said, with when, we're talking in the future. About, well, when we're talking about this long tail slump, it's a long tail slump not just in terms of, you know, consumer purchasing, but it's also a long tail slump in what developers are going to be, especially AAA developers, are going to be able to put forward because of multiple years working under quarantine. Yes. Any other nuggets from this? That uh, there you... was,
1: there was a delay. What, what game was just delayed? What game was, just Oh, at the delayed? end of March, there was a uh, Zelda.
0: Yeah, it was Zelda. was, it was bumped. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And that leaves kind of a big hole. Later in the year. But I'm telling you. Nintendo it's has gonna this fill habit. It with,
0: it's, they're going to fill it with Pokemon. So just be well, prepared for a very Pokemon year.
1: It is going to be a very Pokemon year. Absolutely. But I also think it's important to surface. That Nintendo has this habit. Of keeping g- completed games in their hip pocket. So we might finally see. That rumored Metroid Prime remake. We might finally see. Some of this other, so the other Zelda remakes. That we thought were going to happen. So mm-hmm. that's Wind Waker and Twilight princess potentially showing up on switch uh and don't get don't get me wrong i i don't need anything I, more than that as an excuse to replay both of those games i like them both very much
0: i've never played wind waker
1: i love wind waker
0: i i hear i hear from you specifically that it would be extremely my kind of game it's also
1: got amazing music
0: that's what makes it extremely my kind of game i feel like we're, we're talking about the same thing in okay very different all, right, ways. all
1: right anything else on <laughs> nintendo
0: no, I don't think there's anything else on Nintendo. There wasn't anything super surprising there. We knew this was coming. They knew this was coming, you know, and the more that we see these, these continued, these continued production issues being stretched out over long periods of time, mm-hmm. we're going to continue to see these problems across all first party platforms. Absolutely. All right. all right, take us through Sony. I'm very curious as okay. to what's going on with Sony. As is usually
1: the case with Sony and Microsoft in particular, we're going to do some very top level numbers, but we're not going to spend a whole lot of time on Sony. We're going to spend most of our we're going to spend all of our time minus just this little bit on games and network services, which is where the PlayStation operation is housed. Exactly. Uh, also, for those of you who uh, are wondering, oh, you're going to talk about Sony. We're going to talk about the stuff related to abortion rights in our news show, because that's a labor story. That's a labor story. So that's in the news show. We're not going to be talking about that on the earnings show today. But believe me, we have thoughts. So first up, full company sales were up 10% to 9.92 trillion yen. That's $76.1 billion. Operating income increased by 26% to 1.2 trillion yen or $9.2 billion. Net income dropped 14% to 882.2 billion yen. Or $6.76 billion on higher cost of goods sold, higher selling general and administrative expenses, and weaker performance of Sony's financial services operation. So, that's the top level stuff. Let's talk about game and network services real quick. So, that's PlayStation, pretty much. Sales are up 3% to 83.5 billion yen. That's $640.5 million. Operating income was flat at 346.1 billion yen or 2.65 billion dollars again we're starting flat. to see flat. This is where we're starting to see again first party first party uh platform holder, right? We're mm-hmm. seeing the pinch still of supply issues.
0: And it's not going to go away anytime soon. This like we have we're not we haven't pulled out of this out of this pandemic yet. I know that we so very want to. I know. I'm with you. I also mm-hmm. would like this. And We're not there yet.
1: Okay. So um, let's see here. Looking at my notes. And my notes. Okay. So part of the reason why operating income was just flat and not a loss was that stronger uh, foreign exchange rates offset weaker third-party software sales.
0: Interesting. Yes, I mean Nintendo did talk about that a little bit, and there
1: Microsoft talked about weaker uh, third-party software sales as well. It was just a tougher comp. Again, this is the delays that we've seen over and over and over again. Yeah, right. I agree. So, uh, Sony did. Sony did something really interesting here. Okay, it's not a
0: ten to one stock split. Not a ten to one stock split. Yeah,
1: yeah. Um, they missed its their PlayStation 5 shipment target by 3.3 million units. They only hit 11.5 instead of 14.8, okay. which was their target. Right. And that's due to component supply issues. Yeah. And those are going to continue. Yeah. Now remember, Nintendo said we're going to revise down our number because of component supply issues. What did they do? Hang on. Lifetime shipments for PS5 as of March 31st, 2022, $19.3 $19.3 million. Sony expects that it will ship 18 million units in the fiscal year ending March 31st, 2023.
0: Where are they getting these secret semiconductors? I don't
1: know. And this is where I think all of us are looking at this with cocked heads. Like,
0: are you... Nintendo is... Okay, just to be clear, Nintendo doesn't tend to be all that conservative Mm -hmm. in the ways in which that it forecasts... No, they're aggressive. They're really aggressive when it comes to especially unit sales. They're not usually aggressive in software sales, but unit sales... A hundred percent. I remember them talking about unit sales in their first year and what they wanted to get out of that first year. And I think it was like 23 million units or something like that. And I was looking at this and I'm like, how do you think you're going to get that? And I think they sold like 24 million units at the end of the year. It's, it's wild. So. And they're revising down.
1: Right. So here's the problem. It's Sony. Sony. So, well, it's Sony (laughs) and I I wonder if part of it is, because they are a hardware company, Yeah. that investors will just understand, like, oh, we had supply issues, we couldn't hit our target.
0: Right. And that's not necessarily the case with Nintendo.
1: Right. Now, Sony is expecting a 12% operating income drop. Okay. But that's mostly due to Bungie, which is expected, that acquisition is expected to close this calendar year. So in this fiscal year. Wild. Sony also plans to spend 40 billion yen, or about 306, 307 million dollars, more next year to strengthen its first party lineup at existing studios. So... Okay. Yeah. Now, I wonder how much of that is pouring money into Bungie, so Bungie gets its next game, so they become a two-game studio.
0: I mean, I, I hesitate to speculate what that money could be used for other than they, they really and truly just need to just let their studios do what they're going to do. Working under quarantine has been brutal for AAA, especially not to say that indies haven't suffered as well, because they definitely have, but in AAA, any delay, any delay is a cascading effect. Yeah.
1: So, uh, here's a quote from the slides. Okay. Going forward, we aim to grow the game business by strengthening our first-party software and deploying that software on multiple platforms. Now, that doesn't mean that we're going to see PC day and date. But I'm telling you, everything I read from Sony, especially since they announced the new PlayStation Plus, Mm -hmm. feels like internal friction. Everything comes across like you have you have sandpaper rubbing against itself on the inside.
0: I feel like it's multiple heads that just simply do not communicate. And they just yell at each other.
1: So PlayStation executive Hiroki Totoki said on the earnings call, quote, triple A type titles on PS5. If we distribute that on the subscription services, we may need to shrink the investment needed for that. And that will deteriorate the first party quality. And that is our concern. So they... Are at the same time... what? So what what they're saying is, we don't want to put new first-party titles on a subscription service because then we'll have to spend less money and then the quality will go down. So we're not going to do that. And today, I didn't put this in the notes, but they announced the starting lineup in addition to the already available PS Now games of what's coming out. I'm I'm not that impressed. Like, I'm I'm, I'm in. I'm going to do it. But I'm actually... The biggest piece of news for me... Well, the two biggest pieces of news for me are one, all those PS1 games I bought during the PSP and Vita era... I remember. ...are going to actually be playable with or without a subscription. You're going to get those licenses transferred over, and they're going to be, be being able to be played natively on the PS5. And Tokyo Jungle could be streamed.
0: I mean, that's that's actually very but, attractive. But
1: but you have your hand up. Do you have a I question have, or a comment? I Concern?
0: I have a concern, actually. Okay. Because what this reads like to me... I mean, you know what? If you... If you've been listening to the show for a long time, we don't have to remind you about us discussing philosophical differences yes. between yes. Sony PlayStation and Microsoft. Especially
1: Xbox. this generation, we have seen such divergence, it actually makes it interesting to talk about them again.
0: It's true. And it it wasn't for a long time because it's just like, oh, they're pretty much exactly the same, and they're coming at this pretty much exactly the same. But what this but the comment from Totoki to me reads like they don't actually understand the additive value of subscription
1: I, it for me it's more than that why would you again speaking to investors versus speaking to the public and i've often That's had very to, different it's very different even though they all end up in the big the same it big doesn't matter sewer,
0: it doesn't matter because investors the, the investors need more hand-holding
1: well uh, even differently it Investor relations is different than public relations, and the messaging is very different, and
0: it takes- Because investors need a lot of hand-holding. Uh, yeah, mm, yeah. I-
1: I'm, You gotta puff them up, at least in a way that- I, here's, here's it's my- It's the same picture! I know, here's my feeling on this. <laughs> you are getting ready to, in less than a month, launch a new, very complicated, tiered system, which was made even more complicated today by Ubisoft- plus joining I, and having two tiers and it's like you're doing all of this at once and you are confusing the crap out of everybody and nobody is going to know what it I is that like they I feel like you
0: need you need a degree Well or I mean, a I'm sorry or something but
1: to read that working, specific matrix Who working for these companies used to work at the cable company because this is like buying cable packages 10 years 10 15 20 years ago
0: did we just age ourselves? Uh, how yeah, much? A lot. A lot.
1: But you, I don't know how you can say, like, we don't believe in our subscription program enough to put the games that we think are our best games on it.
0: And then by contrast... Please
1: we, buy our subscription program.
0: By contrast, we have on the other side the the completely opposite philosophy of let's put all our first party titles on Game Pass Forever. Yes. Because we want everyone to play these titles and we can rope people into this service by giving them the very best. And then they're going to stay on for the indies, for the ID at Xbox games, for the third party games. And those rotate out on a regular basis. More and more basis.
1: genres over more time is what has been the effect of subscription programs. It's and not just
0: it's not just Game Pass either. I mean, no. we've we've talked about it with EA as well. Yep. EA's subscription service had very very similar effects.
1: Yep, absolutely. And on top of it, Simon Carlos just put out his latest blog uh, his latest um, newsletter slash blog post today, and has some data backing up. The amplification effect that Game Pass brings to the table, that any subscription program is going to bring to the table, but we use Game Pass because it is the biggest one out there right now in terms of mindshare.
0: Yeah, agree.
1: And there is a worry amongst developers. is, Is my game going to sell worse on Steam if I have a day one Game Pass launch? And if your game is good, remember we've talked about Game Pass being a force multiplier. If your game has good buzz, it's going to be very loudly... Spoken about well. If your game isn't that good and the buzz is bad, that's actually going to hurt your sales. But for the most part, games that are launching on Game Pass are good and therefore we're seeing sales on Steam actually above expectation.
0: Absolutely. You see many Game Pass games that are day and date on Game Pass showing up in the top 10 on Steam as well. So
1: I, I feel like there's a lot of internal cognitive dissonance at Sony right now about their own subscription program. That reads remember that conversion chart that we talked about a couple weeks ago and how the
0: one that you actually the one that you actually needed to have a degree to read.
1: Yeah, I'm telling you, it's, It was written by a cenobite. So <laughs> <laughs> wow yes dang I, it is a puzzle box man dang
0: yes that's too much it is too much that's so, too much for today
1: so I, I think the, the big takeaways for me on Sony are they're planning on selling more consoles even though they believe and I think accurately that the component shortage is going to continue into 2023 calendar 2023 yeah I don't know how It'll they're be going to make fiscal 2023
0: fun. for that matter yeah. like I can't imagine from what I understand the semiconductor crisis or you know, manufacturing crisis, I suppose, is supposed to stretch into twenty twenty four at this point, calendar yes. year.
1: Yeah. So then we're looking at fiscal twenty three twenty four. Absolutely. So I, I I don't understand that. I also feel like they do not have internal confidence in their own subscription program.
0: No. It, it and to really me, does seem that way. That,
1: if that's the read on it, what are they doing? Why are they doing?
0: I have so many questions. I have
1: I have thoughts, um, but I actually kind of want to wait. Until it launches and see how it, see how it does.
0: I'd love to be able to partake in it myself, but it is extremely difficult to, as someone who is no longer living in that country that I set up my original account in, it's very difficult for me to get any kind of, anything, anything. Yeah. At all. So I'm just going to let you do it. Okay. I can. It'll be on our PS5. I figure. All right,
1: so that's everything on Sony. Uh, let's jump into EA real quick. Uh, lots of stuff here, but I want to... There's
0: lots of really interesting stuff going on at EA. Yeah,
1: I, I, I want to move through it relatively quickly because um, I don't want to... We have a lot to cover on this show. So this is both fourth quarter and full year fiscal 2020, 2022. For the full year, total net revenue was up a whopping 24.2% to $6.99 billion. EA expects another jump in net revenue, about 10.2%. Next fiscal year. Dang. So they're looking, they are still anticipating big growth. Uh, Their net income dropped 5.7% to $789 million, but EA expects net income next year to be flat or perhaps up 3%. That's not surprising considering. So very modest. So it's either going to be flat or up just a touch.
0: That's not surprising considering the investments in mergers, uh, sorry, in acquisitions. Yeah, and
1: I think that's where that comes from. Because was GLUE this year? Cody's was this year, wasn't? it? Was, I think
0: Glue and Codemasters were the were this past fiscal year. So the one that you are currently reporting on was it? I think so.
1: Or was Cody's and did it, cl- it close in? No, this, it this closed year. this okay this last Absolutely.
0: fiscal year because we're not we're not. Oh my it's, brain! It's too much. It
1: closed after April first of twenty twenty one. I think so. Okay, so that that would actually have an effect on it, uh, of course. Uh, let's see. Net bookings were up 21% year-over-year to $7.515 billion. Live service and other net bookings were up 17% year-over-year, representing 71% of total net bookings driven by acquisitions Playdemic and Glue Mobiles. That's <laughs> Live service and other net bookings were $4.96 billion over uh, out of uh, $7.515 billion.
0: That's pretty impressive. It so is. I just took a look here. So EA completed its acquisition of Codemasters in February. All right.
1: So, but I think... So in February 21. Playdemic and Glue are also recent, but and this is the first full year that they're reporting. I, I think pronounce. so too. Player count. So remember, we talk about engagement as being such a huge metric as we have moved over to a service-based industry. Player count through 16% to 580 million active accounts. FIFA... Had more than 150 million accounts in fiscal year 22 alone. Drove full game net bookings growth of 43%. Full game net bookings. Wow. FIFA was very, very popular this year. Not a big surprise. For Q4, so this is the holiday quarter of the fiscal year, net revenue was up 35.6% to $1.825 billion. Net income was up 196% to $225 million. Just a whopping holiday quarter for them.
0: Incredible.
1: Net bookings were up eighteen percent to one point seven five billion dollars, even with cessation of sales in Russia and Belarus. Wow. Yeah, and FIFA Mobile had its strongest quarter ever, with new players up eighty percent year over year. So,
0: so let's talk about FIFA though, because yeah, we have was, to talk
1: about FIFA. Because remember mm-hmm.
0: when we sat back and we talked about the potential? Like there were there was some there was some friction there between EA and FIFA, and the different goals. They yeah, they have completely different goals. Yeah. So can you walk me through sure. what happened Sure. This here? all
1: comes from the fact that FIFA, I think, was tired of having a single licensing partner for video games and wanted to have opportunities for more money. And at the same time, EA is looking at this and going, okay, well, we're not going to pay you nearly as much for the license if it's not exclusive. Exactly. And um, you've been holding us back anyway because we can only make licensing deals with the people who you're partnered with. So if... FIFA only has an Adidas license, right? If Adidas are the official shoe of FIFA, EA can't go out and sign Nike. Nope. For instance. Yep. All right. So, as we suspected, EA is parting ways with soccer's organizing body after this year's World Cup game, which will carry the FIFA uh, branding. EA Sports Football Club is the new name with more than 300 licensing partners. This is something they're emphasizing because they don't want people to worry about the loss of the FIFA license. In the press release announcing the move, EA says that it will retain everything that players enjoy about FIFA, including leagues, teams, modes, including Ultimate Team, of course, and more.
0: It's important that Ultimate Team continues.
1: It's important to EA and its investors that Ultimate Team continues.
0: I mean, yeah, that's what I was getting to. Ultimate Team is an enormous moneymaker for EA. Yeah.
1: Absolutely. Um, They're also heralding some upcoming changes, which it previously said were hampered by FIFA, like we talked about. It was a relatively classy statement thanking FIFA for the partnership. FIFA's statement, on the other hand, holy crap, was it unhinged. And here's just a quote from it. I can assure you that the only authentic, real game that has the FIFA name will be the best one available for gamers and football fans. The FIFA name is the only global original title. FIFA 23, FIFA 24, FIFA 25, FIFA 26, and so on. The constant is the FIFA name it will remain forever and remain the best. I'm telling you.
0: That... I- it, that that statement, I know would not have existed in a pre-trump era.
1: I don't know about that. I, I my understanding is uh the FIFA guy whose name I didn't even care to capture because this statement was so bananas.
0: No, I mean like the statement itself. you can he could think it all he wanted, but the fact that this made it out the door. yeah,
1: it very much read like a from the desk of Donald J. Trump press it release. really
0: it's the best.
1: The best. It was all caps in the statement, too. It's going to be huge. It's going to be huge. Yeah. Uh, EA also has some interesting stuff on its slate for the rest of this fiscal year. In addition to the expected F1, Need for Speed, NHL, FIFA, Madden, and PGA games, a lot of sports, we can expect unannounced games in Q4 labeled as Major IP, Partner Title, Remake, and Sports Title. Um, <laughs> the Major IP, uh, that actually could be the sequel to Jedi Fallen Order. Maybe. Uh, the partner title is probably an EA Originals game. Yep. Uh, the remake, uh, now we know it's Dead Space because it's been dated for January 23rd. And the sports title is actually, it's not NBA, MB- it's probably not NBA. EA has not really been successful with NBA. It's not NCAA football or college football, whatever they're going to call it. That mm-hmm. one's going to come out in the summer anyway, whenever that does come out, because that's the timing for college football. That's when the, that's when NCAA used to come out all, all the time. Um... Could be a different Codemasters game, but I did also see some stuff out there that they acquired the company that makes Super Mega Baseball. Yeah. So it could actually be EA getting back into uh, into baseball. Because I actually owned a couple of EA MLB games back in the PlayStation 1 era.
0: I don't think I did. I didn't have a PlayStation 1. Ah. I, I, had a, I had a Nintendo 64. Yeah. That was my console. Uh,
1: some notes here uh, from before we knew that the remake was Dead Space. Uh, EA announced it's making a new mobile Lord of the Rings game. It looks a little bit like Star Wars Galaxy of Heroes, but it's Lord of the Rings. Uh, That part, for me as a player, is not very interesting. Although, given how much money Star Wars uh, Galaxy of Heroes makes, this probably will make a ton of money if it's implemented in the same way.
0: I mean, but the the big draw there in terms of like... It it meshes better for Star Wars. Mm -hmm. I am having a really... Even like as a big Lord of the Rings fan... I'm having a really, really difficult time I want a team made
1: this. up of Gandalf and the Balrog and the Witch King of Angmar and, and, and Eowyn. That's my team.
0: That's a pretty solid team, though, dude. Like, for real. I know what I'm Also, doing. Eowyn would murder the Witch King of Angmar. Yeah,
1: well, can't put them on the same Infighting. team. In fighting.
0: You can't yeah. put them on the same team. Like, minus that whole lore yes. problem. Yeah. But my point with that is that it doesn't, it doesn't, for me, make any sense. Like... I, I, I can see it, it for Star Wars. I'm so, having a hard time with it for Lord of the Rings.
1: So I, I guess this is important, though. As a, an enormous Lord of the Rings fan, you yes. have literally no interest in this game.
0: I have no interest. Yeah. I have opposite of interest. I have yeah. Disinterest. So here's what is interesting to me about
1: this. If EA now has a relationship with, what is it called now? Middle Earth Industries or something?
0: Oh gosh, I don't know. They
1: changed the name. It's not the Saul's Ants Company anymore.
0: No, and I, I they, talked they, about right, that.
1: Right, they, they sold it off. They right? sold the the it off. The estate sold it off.
0: That's right. Okay. So it's it, it's, its own corporation now, which yes. is fine. I'd love to see Lord of the... Like, I'd love to see this Middle Earth, whatever the heck it's called now, because I don't remember. I'd love to see Tolkien's work that world being licensed out more readily. Okay. I want to see more creations in this world. Like I'm, I'm really interested in this. And at the same time, why does the first Lord of the Rings game that we've had in many years have to be a fucking mobile game <laughs> that I won't play? And I love mobile games. Y'all don't understand. I play a lot of mobile games and I won't play this one.
1: Yeah, this is not the precious but here's what I'm crossing. <laughs> here's what I'm crossing my fingers for. I love you. I love you too. <laughs> you if big nerd. EA is working with the folks who own the who have the Middle Earth license yes. and all the and own the IP, yeah, can we please get re-releases, potentially remakes of the Battle for Middle Earth games, please, or or please. that awesome RPG, The Third Age.
0: The Third Age was fantastic. Yes, I actually really enjoyed The Third Age. I loved Battle for Middle Earth as well. Also,
1: didn't EA make the PS2? Oh
0: yeah. Those were great games too. Those were great games in a very different way. Yes. But I, why? Just why? Oh, tell me why. Tell me why. (laughs) It wasn't WB that made those. I don't know. Had my phone. Sorry, I was using his phone to order cookies.
1: Cookies. (laughs) C is for cookie. That's good enough for me. Okay. All right. So the two towers game. I'm just going to use that two towers game PS2. Was uh, uh developed by stormfront studios and it was published by EA.
0: i knew it was yeah. i knew it was published by ea
1: yeah yep there it is so yes i would also really really love those games to get another shot
0: uh yes please Because
1: man those games were great i love those games okay uh let's see some other standout notes from the call and beyond EA isn't giving up on Battlefield 2042. No surprise that they're publicly standing by the game. Andrew Wilson says the company is taking the long view with it, but this was interesting. The development process around Battlefield is being revamped with Vince Zampella now at the top of the group of studios that includes DICE. Expect to see more Respawn-like fingerprints on the Battlefield franchise. In fact, he said on the call, it is now taking the Respawn approach. Or it's following the Respawn model.
0: I, I wouldn't be mad about that. Yeah. You know my feelings about Titanfall and my and my very hot take of Titanfall 2 being the best first person shooter of all time.
1: Yeah. I, I mean, we've talked about this before, I think just amongst ourselves, but when it comes time for Andrew Wilson to step down because he's done and he just wants some time to himself because he running a company go, of this. He size wants to go is, surfing. He wants to go surfing, which is something he does. We expect that there's a good chance that Laura Mealy, who is head of studios, is gonna is a great candidate for the CEO role, and Vince is on trajectory to be head of studios.
0: Yeah. Across I, the
1: entire company.
0: I agree. I mean... Every if,
1: time his name pops up in the news, he's got more and more responsibility, more and more studios underneath.
0: And I mean, the that climbing, it hasn't been bad no, for it's been, EA. it's been very good. It's been very, very good. And it, it's been good for the studios. I mean, I don't know what the culture looks like, obviously, but... I know what the results have been. Yep. And there is
1: some stuff that I've been told privately about how shrewd Vince is in negotiating and getting what he wants. Not in a bad way, but in terms of... Being a shrewd
0: negotiator is an important part of being a good leader and advocating for your team. There's nothing wrong with being shrewd. I'm shrewd.
1: Right. It's not, And this is not a bad thing. This is more along the lines of his desires... He, he makes good bets and he's been right and and one of those bets by the way was Jedi Fallen Order being a single a player big, no multiplayer no DLC game big bet that sold really well to the point where EA's like okay sure it actually did well let's go ahead and greenlight a sequel which I cannot wait for I love the first one it had some it needed fast travel but I love the first one um Apex Legends, which is launching on mobile this month, saw bookings jump 40%, taking it over the $2 billion mark.
0: They continue to have excellent content. Again, respawn. They continue to have excellent content. And people that have been with Apex since the beginning love it more and more and more. Mm -hmm. There are some balance issues this season, from what I understand, because I'm in touch with people that play a lot of Apex, but it's really, really interesting to me to to step back, look at what that launch looked like, and look at where they are now. And I could not have seen Apex's staying power based on the beginning of of this cycle. Yeah,
1: they definitely adapted well. Last thing on EA, EA has added Codemaster's Cheshire team to its Criterion studio. The two of them are now one studio under the Criterion label, working together on the new Need for Speed that's out this year.
0: Oof. We love to see it. Yes. All I'm right. very
1: excited. All right, you got Roblox for us. Oh,
0: boy. Do We're I gonna have to? Just, just, just real quick. Okay, real quick. Just real quick. All right, so we've got Roblox Q1 of 2022 for their fiscal year. Revenue has increased 39% year-over-year to $537.1 million. Bookings, however, have decreased 3% year-over-year to $631.2 million. Their daily active users were 54.1 million players, an increase of 28% (sighs) year-over-year. Engagement hours were up at 11.8 billion hours. Holy smokers. That's an increase of 22% year-over-year. So, great. Those numbers are fine. Mm -hmm. They're cool. Stock is tanking. And not just tanking a little bit. It hit its high in November of 2021... At one hundred and thirty-four dollars per share, right? We remember this because we talked about it back in the day. However, it is sitting not so pretty at a underwhelming thirty-two dollars per share. Mm. Thirty-two dollars per share. And it
1: it I think it came out at sixty.
0: Yes, and we're gonna we're gonna talk about this when I come when I come back to talk about Unity. Because Unity is having a number of similar issues because these two companies IPO'd at the same time.
1: Mm -hmm. So They also, by the way, they lost for the quarter $162 million.
0: Yeah, so things are looking great. Yeah. Looking, they're just so that and that's worse
1: than last year's first quarter, where they lost $136 million.
0: Again, we're gonna see that echoed over at Unity. The, yeah. these, are, these are two companies that are on similar trajectories, but for very different reasons. Mm-hmm. And what I will say about this based on them posting losses um, and the platform itself clearly doing very well with its, with its daily active users, they actually don't report on monthly actives for whatever reason. Interesting. Which is strange to me, but they, they specifically went into that in their call. The platform is doing well, but based on this information, what kind of long-term growth do you think that Roblox will be capable of?
1: Me? I, I, I don't know. I feel like... The question is, how long are investors going to let them get away with huge losses?
0: And they have, been po- they have posted losses every single quarter since they IPO'd.
1: And I guess the question is, if the bottom continues to fall out of the crypto and NFT market... What does that mean for Roblox's item marketplace?
0: And I don't know because there's, there's a hunger for user-generated content. We see that right. in Minecraft. We've, we're have we potentially even going to see that in Fortnite. Yep. Which is, we'll talk about that on the news episode. Yes. But there there's a hunger for user-generated content. There always will be because people want to play things that other people like them have made. Yeah. And they like, that's always going to be something that people want. It's that it's part of customization, right? Customization as, as a player gives you better agency. It gives you more individuality. And that's what players do want in these kinds of online experiences and these kinds of quote unquote metaverses. Mm. So overall, Roblox is both fine and not fine. And there were some interesting comments and conversations throughout their very long earnings call. It was my goodness gracious. It was very, very long. But one of the things that did come up that I wanted to surface is that when they were asked about what they, what, what kind of spend they are going to be putting into user safety, they came back with nonsense about, well, we're going to automate more, you know, we're going to pull the human moderators. We're going to pull the human moderators out of it more, you know, because they just can't see everything. And it's true, but here's my suggestion, anyone at Roblox. If you're listening, get Dave McCarthy over at Xbox on the phone. Nobody knows user safety quite in the way that Dave McCarthy understands it. And based on the conversations that even I've had with him over the years about user safety, take advantage of the open source software that Microsoft is offering in this sphere. Stop trying to reinvent the wheel just go out, take the technology that's already there, integrate it to the best of your ability. It's not easy. It's never going to be easy to take care of user safety. But Roblox was not built with user safety in mind. They were too busy building it to ask themselves how they were going to keep its users safe. Yep,
1: absolutely. That's a good point. And that is a great place. For us to end the first half of the show on, we're going to take a quick break and then we will be right back.
0: Virtual economy is an F-squared initiative, and along with pro bono business consulting for up-and-coming developers, it's a way we are working to give back to the community that has already given us so much. To find out more about F-squared and the services we can provide, including pitch prep, media training, mock reviews, and business strategy guidance, visit our website at fsquared.com. And we are back. It, are, is it time? It is. What time is it?
1: Financial quick hits. Ooh,
0: so beautiful.
1: <laughs> All right, we have uh, three companies that we're going to move through really, really quickly, just because there were things in each of the earnings reports oh, that I uh, that I thought were that were interesting, and I and I didn't want to spend too much time. But yeah, yeah.
0: I'm Band- very excited to talk about Starbreeze in yeah. a second. Yeah. Uh,
1: Bandai Namco. Net sales are up 120% to 889.3 billion yen or $6.8 billion. Operating profit up 148.2% to 125.5 billion yen or $966.8 million. Net profit up 189.7%. Where do you think that came from? Wait for it. Okay. To 92.75 billion yen or $714.5 million. And here's why I pulled it. Elden Ring has moved a whopping 13.4 million units as of March 31st, 2022. So it was a hair more than a month.
0: And when you. Bandai Namco? Not Maidenless.
1: No, not Maidenless. Uh, And that inverse decay curve going on for Elden Ring is just bananas.
0: Completely subverting how normal decay curves work. Elden Ring's like, nah, hold my Uh, beer. (laughs) Yeah.
1: And then they did it again.
0: Then they did it again, and then they did it again. And then they did it again. Bop bop.
1: Yep. So that was Bandai Namco. Uh, Starbreeze.
0: Oh my gosh. I, why Starbreeze, why? Okay, so here's the thing. Mike and I have been covering Starbreeze for four years. We have been covering this saga since it became a saga in, my goodness gracious, it must have been November or October of 2018 over on Game Daily. And we looked at it, and I was like, "What are they doing?" So we've been covering this for a really long time, and I'm rooting for them, but I'm scared for them at the same time. Payday, because let's talk about Payday for a second. They used to have a number of different titles, right? They had remember they
1: were supposed to publish Psychonauts too.
0: I don't want to talk about it. (laughs) It's so bad. Like there were so many games they were supposed to publish, but they just they had to go into reconstruction because. Very bad decisions were being made all across the board, including losing out on that, those big and sweet dead by daylight numbers. Yeah. Because, whew, man, after Behavior finished out its contract with Starbreeze, that was it. All right, so Payday now makes up an unhealthy, and I really, I cannot stress unhealthy enough, an unhealthy 99.15% of net sales. 99.15% 99.15% of net sales.
1: That is all of your eggs except for that one. Except for that one in one like, basket.
0: Except for like that one like weird-looking one in the corner. Yeah,
1: that one gave up halfway down.
0: It did. And I mean, like you didn't want that egg in your basket. So just
1: to be clear, we thought it was bad last year when during Q1, payday was 96.4% of our sales.
0: We were, we were just sitting here and we're like, what are they doing?
1: You've got to do something else. You've you got to figure to something out. You have to
0: diversify because having all of your hopes and your dreams pinned on a single IP is just... And that IP flagging?
1: Now remember, Payday 2 was done. Like, they were done making DLC for it. They had to spin up the content machine for Payday 2 in order to stay alive as a company.
0: Well, and that's... Hold on to that.
1: Uh Uh-oh. I didn't do the conversions.
0: That's okay. Don't worry about it. So sales dropped 15.7%. To 23.5 M Yep. It's okay, we're not gonna go into conversions right now. Hold on. It's not Maybe useful. I can do this. Maybe I can do this. No, it's fine. Don't worry about it. Loss for the quarter was twenty-three point seven seven three M which it was apparently four point two million sec, I guess. Yeah. Last year.
1: So their losses mounted real significantly. bad
0: significantly. And they have not gone through any big investment money moves. It's not like they have a war chest like Embracer. So anyway, very, very bad. Costs were up across the board, which contributed to the losses for this quarter. Um, So direct sales and marketing and administration were cited as their biggest costs. Um, Payday three is apparently on schedule, which good for them. Happy for them. Hope it all works out. Starbreeze is also now developing a new IP beyond Payday 3. So is it that very small percentage that's no. not going to be that?
1: No. Well, I mean, obviously they're not making money off of that. Oh, yeah. But I think they finally realized, like, we cannot keep all of our eggs in the Payday basket. No,
0: because so it's just, not working. Just it. real
1: quick. The, the losses for this year were about $2 million. A little bit more than $2 million.
0: Okay. I mean, like...
1: I'm sorry, for the quarter.
0: That's for the quarter. For the it's, quarter. It's still not great.
1: No, it's not So great. they're
0: developing new IP beyond Payday 3, and it may be based on a licensed brand. And I don't really understand. So That's what the report in, in said, in the report
1: said it might be based on a licensed brand, which is like, I don't understand in, an, in a quarterly report, you're presenting to investors, well, you we don't know are, what this IP is going to be. It might be a licensed game. You
0: are a publicly traded company, not a startup. Yeah. This is absolutely not okay it for investor relations Uh, if i were an investor yeah that that would be be my
1: first question like what do you mean might be now here's what i think it might mean that they have a game concept that seems really good like the game concept itself seems solid and they could see a a specific license that would work really really well layered on top of it sure and if they, have, if they secure that license, they could do it as a licensed game. But they could also do it as an owned IP. It's not due out until 2025, so it's definitely still in like, the prototype phase. <sighs> now, here's the stuff that's dry, that, that like, is this killing is so,
0: me.
1: I, you're killing I'm, me, Smalls.
0: You're killing me, Smalls. So, CEO Tobias uh, Sjogren? Sjogren?
1: I don't know. I, I don't know.
0: Okay, sure. Got it. Yeah. i'm terrible with names i'm so sorry i don't mean to butcher them they're sacred i know this but i'm terrible with names said so that the company is considering acquisitions what
1: i with, with what? what money they, I,
0: with with your negative monies they, what, would, are have you to, they would have to
1: get quite the loan they would have to get quite the, they're uh, not going to be able to secure that
0: kind of credit line still being in a reconstruction phase yeah. like that's completely bananas to me they want to publish third-party games, which they had done previous to their restructuring period in late 2018 and throughout 2019. Mm-hmm. And they also want to be developing more entertainment products and games based on payday. So look, that transmedia, make sense. that makes really good sense for them. And I'm 3,000% on board for that because I do think, don't mind our dogs, but I do think that that is a smart play. Yeah. But I am frightened for Starbreeze. Yeah. They are not... They are They are not... They're really... hanging on
1: by a thread. Now, remember, Payday 3 is being published by Koch Media. Oh. Koch. Koch.
0: Oh, I so, got it that time. Koch.
1: We'll cool. see what happens. Um, okay. All right, it's so Remedy. Real quickly, revenue increased 55.9% year over year to 12.66 million euros. Again, I didn't do the conversions because I was in such a rush. Operating profit is back in the black to the tune of 2.76 million euros versus a small loss last year of 201,000 euros. Um, Euros are uh a hair, they're doing a hair better than dollars. So in your head, if uh if you want to do the conversion to dollars, we're talking again, not too far off. Uh some news about Alan Wake. Alan Wake Remastered is coming natively for Switch. Woo! So not the cloud not a cloud-based game, it's coming Woo! natively. I love Alan that. Wake two is not gonna be shown this summer at any events. They want to ensure that it gets a good first gameplay impression. It's set for release in twenty twenty three. I love that. Hey, remember there was an Alan Wake TV show?
0: Yes, I do.
1: Uh, It it didn't actually happen. There there was was big talks about it, though. AMC has picked up the
0: rights. (gasps) That's a great idea. Yes.
1: Uh, The next main control game is in the concept slash prototype phase. The spin-off control game, which is the multiplayer game, is in the concept phase. Max Payne 1 and 2 remakes are in concept. And Vanguard, which is their free-to-play co-op game with Tencent, is making, quote, good progress.
0: We love to see Remedy win.
1: Yep. And... Financial quick hits. Those were.
0: <laughs> I was waiting for that. I'm like, wait, what do you. Okay, we're yep. just gonna. Okay, okay. All right. Okay, Derek. I'm up again. Derek, okay. Capcom! Capcom! What's going on with Capcom? Uh,
1: Capcom had a banger of a year. Not a big surprise. They have just been tearing things up. Uh, the company closed fiscal year 22 with record profits and its ninth year of profit growth. Net sales were up 15.5% to 110 billion yen or 847.4 million dollars, a record high. Operating income was up 24% to 42.9 billion yen or 330.5 million dollars. Net income was up 30.6% to 32.55 billion yen or 250.77 million dollars, another record high. Resident Evil, Vill- Resident Evil villages moved six point one million units. Monster Hunter Stories Two: Wings of Ruin. The game that may not have even been made, given the reception to Monster Hunter Stories One, was lukewarm.
0: It was tepid. It was tepid. It's because the game wasn't very good. No,
1: they fixed the they fixed the battle oh, system. And the game were too. is so
0: good now. Monster Hunter Stories Two. Seriously, if you want to have monsters in Monster Hunter be your best friends. You want to play Monster Hunter Stories. It is ridiculously cute. And it's got a great story. Great gameplay. Yep.
1: 1.5 million. Oh, I love it. It's doing well. I would not be surprised if we see more Monster Hunter Stories. Yes. Um, Strong catalog performance from Monster Hunter World, Iceborne, and Resident Evil 7. No
0: surprise there.
1: Record high unit sales of 32.6 million units, beating last year's record of 30.1 million units. With Capcom targeting 37 million units in fiscal 23. 10 million of that from new game, 27 million of that from catalog. catalog. No big surprise. Capcom has quite the powerful catalog.
0: Well, and they aren't afraid to utilize it. Like they are constantly re-upping, re-promoting what's going on in their back cat. It's just, it's the best.
1: They are. And especially if that rumored Resident Evil 4 remake comes out, like they're going to do some good stuff. All right. Breaking down into the different divisions, digital content, which is where games live. Net sales were up 16.2% to 87.5 billion yen, or $674.1 million. Operating income was up 22.6% to 45.4 billion yen, or $349.7 million. No surprise, digital content is the pillar for Capcom. Arcade operations was up 25.7% to 12.4 billion yen, or $95.5 million. Operating income was up 336.8%. To 652 million yen or $5 million. Whew. The amusement equipment division did take a hit though. They were down 18.9% year over year to 5.75 billion yen Ooh. or $44.3 million. Again, this is the smallest of the pillars. It is. Of the divisions. Operating income was down 2.5% to 2.4 billion yen or $18.5 million. Capcom got in early and realized that the three R's were so powerful. And the three
0: R's. Remake? Remaster, re-release.
1: Yep. That has been so powerful for Capcom. They realized it early, they committed to it, and they have been doing an excellent job with it. That is using their existing IP, their existing catalog, in very, very smart ways.
0: And not even just for to, for today's consumers, like the, the people that had grown up playing these games. This is introducing IP to new players, to players that weren't alive when these games came oh, out or they weren't old enough to play them when they first came out. So I love this. I think that there is just, there's so much power in Capcom's back cat. And I just, I can't wait to see what remake comes next.
1: Parasite What
0: are you manifesting? Or that's Square Yeah. That's you can't. manifest. Dino Crisis. Dino Crisis is the one you want. Yeah.
1: Parasite We'll talk about it in a little bit. Yeah. Oh, but except no. but
0: we're also manifesting Parasite. I am manifesting
1: Parasite. That's great. It's okay. going in our summoning. Uh, dino Crisis for all my for all my uh, Dino Horror fans out there.
0: Dino Crisis is real good, though. Yeah, that's real good. OK, so let's talk very quickly about what's going on with Unity. This is for Q1 of 2022. Revenue was three hundred and twenty point one million dollars, an increase of 36 percent year over year. So the nice thing about unity is they actually do get, they do separate out the various departments, I suppose, that generate revenue. So the first one that they talked about was the create solutions. So create solutions is unity itself. It's unity that allows the unity engine that allows developers to create games. So that revenue was really sitting pretty. At $116.4 million, which was an increase of 65% year over year. Looking good. People are clear, Developers are clearly investing in Unity projects, and we'd love to see it. Operate Solutions revenue. So the Operate stuff is about their live services add-ons for Unity. That was um, 184, $184 million, which was an increase of 26%. So that's a big number for them, their Operate Solutions, because if you are running a live service game with Unity, using their Operate Solutions on top of it to generate even more revenue, both for your, your game and for Unity, it's a win-win. Strategic partners Partnerships and Other Revenue was $19.7 million, which was an increase of 11% year-over-year, and... You know, so it was a it's a solid quarter for Unity. Mm-hmm. They're they're continuing to make really smart decisions with where they are focusing their efforts. Okay. Losses, oh my gosh, we talk about losses, right? Now I need you to keep this in mind, though. Remember that they acquired Weta Digital relatively recently, so they they are still realizing how much that cost. That was a big big investment for them because they didn't just buy Weta Digital's tools. They also brought in their engineers. Yeah. They brought in the talent. It's a lot of overhead. It's a lot of overhead for them. And I mean, the, this is the studio. These are the people that helped bring, you know, some of, the, some of the biggest and baddest films out there to life. Like we're talking about Avatar, right? We were talking about the Lord of the Rings. They mm-hmm. worked on Peter Jackson's Lord of the Rings. And this is, this was no small feat for Unity. So, Yeah, they posted some losses. Mm. Losses were $171.2 million, which was 53% of revenue. And that's compared to $110.9 million, or 47% of revenue in the first quarter of 2021. So they're saying that this was impacted by an increase in stock-based compensation expenses, which was people. Like... Yeah. That's people yes. right there. Unity stock. Remember how I said, hold on to your butts. Cause we're going to talk about unity stock. So unity stock has also taken an enormous tumble in a similar capacity to Roblox. And they IPO it at the same time around the same time in 2020. If they had a peak of $191 per share at the same time that Roblox did. So this is November of 2021. They're down at $36 per share.
1: Yeah, tech sector's taking a beating.
0: They are, yeah, tech sector overall is taking an enormous beating. And it's 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 not pretty. Yep. It's not pretty at all. So the call itself wasn't particularly fruitful for what we wanted to talk about. You know, CEO John Riccitello went into into detail and as to what they're going to be announcing and launching and when people can be expecting those announcements, you know, during SIGGRAPH and, you know, all of the usual bits and pieces where you're going to see the platforms that help build games announce their wares. It's not mm-hmm. going to be at consumer focused no. places where, you know, these are going to be at conventions that are tailored to developers, to artists, to people that are using these engines. So the overall nothing huge going on here other than the stock sucks, but what stock doesn't suck right now? Yeah, exactly. So it's, it's not great for stocks, but everything else is really sitting pretty I'm very interested to see how they are going to continue to integrate Weta Digital's tools into Unity's platform overall.
1: All right, three left. First up from Japan, Sega. Looking at full year fiscal 22. Sega is recovering, but they haven't yet reached pre-pandemic sales. However, their operating income and their profit are now ahead of pre-pandemic rates.
0: Oh, that's that's great.
1: Sales were up 15.6%. To three hundred twenty point nine billion yen or two point four nine billion dollars, mm-hmm. operating income jumped three hundred ninety two percent to thirty two billion yen, two hundred forty seven point eight five million dollars. Profits were nearly up. Hold on to your butts. Okay, I'm holding. You are not. I can see you. Thank you. Okay, I'm holding. Three thousand percent.
0: Wait, did is that a mistype? No. Are you I, sure I, I it's the, not three hundred percent? I did
1: the math three times.
0: It's just like when I when I did with the eightfold nonsense with yeah. Nintendo. to 37
1: billion yen or $286.58 million.
0: What's going on there? uh, So Sega, again,
1: is one of those companies that's broken up. Sega is extremely well diversified until you have a pandemic. Mm -hmm. We've talked about this over and over and over again throughout the last two years where their entertainment contents division, which is their consumer video games and their amusement machines. So even their consumer titles, like their video game division, was being dragged down by amusement machines during (laughs) the pandemic. Yes, that uh, sales increased 8.3% to 235.9 billion yen or $1.83 billion. Operating income was up 21.5% to 33.9 billion yen or $262.57 million. That's on the back of really strong performance from Humankind, Lost Judgment, Sonic Colors Ultimate, and Total War Warhammer 3. Very different games. Four extremely different games. you got your 4X. Yep. You've got your... Uh, Third-person action. Yep. You've got your platformer. Yep. And you've got your grand strategy.
0: You know what? There, if there is one thing that I can say about Sega, very, they are
1: diversified. They are diversified extremely well in their in their gaming division. So prize and their prize machines performed well. Those are the claw machines. Oh, <laughs> everybody loves a good claw machine. Well,
0: I know Vivian does.
1: Yes. Uh, the Pac- slot and pachinko revenue increased forty-two point seven percent to seventy-five point eight billion yen. That's five hundred eighty-seven point one million. Operating income recovered from a loss of 10.6 billion yen, or $82 million, to a positive number of 9.3 billion yen, $72 million. Yeah. So sharp recovery. It's V-shaped recovery from debt from the deficit last year. And the fixed costs for that are actually very low, which helps them out. I and agree. then uh, the resort revenue increased 36.5% to 8.6 billion yen. That's 66.6 6 million dollars. But Sega can't yet shake the operating losses for this division, which have improved from a loss of 4.1 billion yen, that's $31.76 million, to a loss of 2.5 billion yen, that's 19.36 million. The the positive move here is that they are seeing better attendance from domestic visitors, but because foreign visitation is still a trickle in Japan, Mm -hmm. they're not getting people from out of the country at the resorts.
0: Well, yeah, that'll do it.
1: So yeah, big takeaways here for Sega. Sonic is still the pillar of Sega's business. Multiple games are coming this year. Uh, The success of the movies, and there's a new animated series coming. So that's all licensing revenue.
0: I am really excited for the second movie. I didn't think I was going to like the movie at all. It is so charming and so good. It is, yeah. It's so good.
1: Yeah, and um, resorts and Pachinko slot are recovering, but the resorts have a longer way to go. But we'll see what happens once things open up. Now, I understand that within the next couple of months, Japan is planning on reopening to foreign visitors.
0: Yes. I think that where they're at right now is they're finally starting to approve visas Yes, to come into the country because a mutual friend of ours finally, mm-hmm. after two years with a company in Japan, was finally able to move.
1: Yes. And another one of our friends had been planning a, a trip uh, for a couple of years. It's true. And finally knows that that they're able to go. Yep. All right, so that's Sega. Let's move over to Square Enix for the full year 2022. Absolutely. Um, this is a weird one because, as we talked about last week, uh, the Embracer sale or the Embracer acqu- acquisition is that, last that week? was last week. Oh, my goodness. So much has happened. Time is a flat circle. Uh, net sales are up 9.8% to 365.2 billion yen or $2.83 billion. Operating income was up 25.4% to 59.2 billion yen or $458.7 million. And profit nearly doubled to 51 billion yen or $395.1 million.
0: I wonder why.
1: So the big Square Enix news, of course, is that sell-off of the Western Studios. That is Crystal Dynamics, Eidos Montreal, and Square Enix Montreal. Uh, And all of the related IP. So Deus Ex, Tomb Raider, Legacy of Kain, and some other stuff. Like a lot of other stuff. Uh, that happened after the close of the fiscal year. So that does not actually impact the numbers that we're talking about today. Uh, and actually, that deal hasn't closed yet, so it won't we yeah. won't see the move, the movement here. Nope. Um, so Square Enix is also broken out into a number of different pillars. First up, digital entertainment, that is where your video games live. Sales increased 5.9 percent to 279 point6 billion yen or 2.2 billion dollars. Operating income climbed 16.6% to 58.9 billion yen, or $456.3 million. HD games slipped on strong comps, but MMOs picked up the slack. Final Fantasy XIV and Dragon Quest X still trucking along really well. Uh, However, Square Enix said its mobile titles put in weak performance despite net sales rising due to a change in accounting policy. Huh. So there's some so there's some policy reasons why the numbers look better than they should, is essentially what Square Enix is saying here. Got it. Um, oddly, Babylon's Fall seems to be doing terribly. Uh, it dropped to one and then zero players on Steam. And I don't know how you recover. I don't know how you continue to throw good money after bad. Uh, I don't know how you bring people back to that good game. Good old
0: sunk cost.
1: Yeah, it's... I think you just chalked this one up to it didn't work. Yep. This wasn't the right fit for Platinum.
0: Hmm. Where have we heard that before? Like
1: Avengers wasn't a great fit for Crystal. Hmm. 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 Um, and the Outriders situation got no clarity here. Remember we talked about that last week where People Can Fly has not seen any royalty payments yet. And they very carefully talk... The language they use is about sales, which makes us question whether or not Square Enix is including any Game Pass payment in its accounting for royalty purposes. But that is a conversation if you're interested in that, go ahead and listen to last week's episode if you haven't already.
0: It was a good conversation.
1: It was. Amusements, so sales increased 33.5% to 45.8 billion yen or 354.8 million dollars. Operating income is back in the black. Last year showed a 1.5 billion yen loss of 11.6 million dollars. Uh, last year, This year was 2 billion yen positive, that's 15.5 million, and arcades are reopening, so that's helping them out. So Amusements is their is there arcade machines. Uh, publications, that's uh, comics, manga, all that stuff. Publications climbed 8.2% to 29 billion yen, to, that's 224.7 million dollars. Operating income inched up 5% to 12.2 billion yen, or 94.5 million dollars, and that's on the back of both strong digital and print sales. Huh. So people are, are purchasing and reading in a variety of formats. Love that. Merchandising had a really strong year. Sales increased 32.9% to 14 billion yen.
0: They had an incredible uh, partnership with Uniqlo.
1: Oh, that was this morning. I think people are real upset about that because that sold out
0: yeah, I was one of the people that was kind of upset about uh, that. My timeline I, was filled
1: with people very upset they couldn't get their Final Fantasy t-shirts.
0: I really wanted a Final Fantasy X t-shirt, and mm. I got on, and I logged on, and I was like, oh, they're all gone. Oh. oh.
1: So that was uh, $108.5 million. Operating income was up 77.3% to $3.9 billion yen or $30.2 million. And this is what we've been talking about throughout the fiscal year. New character merch tied to major IP, so that's near... And Final Fantasy VII Remake. That stuff driving the money. Now here's the madness. Square wants to open new studios.
0: What? But they just got rid of three of them. Yeah,
1: so after selling off its Western operations to embrace, or at least entering an agreement to do so, this is really about a major refocus for Square Enix. They believe that their core audience is people who want to play Eastern titles. So that's JRPGs, strategy RPGs, Japan-developed action games. So those are, that is where they're going to be focusing now. So they want to open up new studios. They want to create new titles based around who the company believes its core audience is. Now, if that's not confusing enough for you... <laughs> hold on to your butts. Hold on to your butts. They are still extremely interested in blockchain, play-to-earn, and NFTs. The timing of that alongside the crypto crash that's going on right now is rather shocking. That they didn't edit their, at least downplay it a little bit. Now, part of me wonders, and i wondered this, and you and I have talked about this. Yes. With regard to every CEO who says, oh, blockchain, oh, NFTs. If they're not just trying to shut up that segment of investors that's who are never going to leave the That's not what this feels alone, like, though. That's not what this feels like.
0: No, that's not what that feels like at all. Because I know that, you know, we talked about EA today. You know, CEO Andrew Wilson was one of those people where he just kind of gave some lip service. He gave some lip service to both the metaverse and to NFTs. Yes. So, oh, Square Enix, what are you doing? I mean, we are
1: going to see a very different Square Enix after the Western Studios gets sold off.
0: And maybe maybe it's great. Maybe it's not. And we won't know. Square Enix has made some incredible games. They've made some great bets. They've made some not so great bets. So but we'll I think the,
1: the big thing is to me and this has been even my reporting back when I first started Game Informer in 2013, Square Enix I think s- tends to set unreasonable expe- set, set in the past tense now unreasonable expectations for its western studios that it doesn't hold its Eastern studios to so I'm wondering how internally they are justifying things like Balan Wonderworld and that was Babylon's disaster fall
0: another disaster against
1: you know, what they have said about the Western Studios. And if you lose the Western Studios, part of me wonders if they've just sold off a scapegoat.
0: Yeah. That's ugly. Yep. That's ugly.
1: All right. We got one company left.
0: We got one company left. We're going to talk about Take Two, which actually reported today. Yes. So we're going to talk about... Thankfully, I
1: didn't have to do any conversions (laughs)
0: because U.S. dollars. (laughs) Because U.S. dollars. So we, they reported out both Q4 and fiscal 2022. So I'm going to go into Q4. Mike is going to handle the full year. So Q4, net revenue is up 11% year over year to $930 million. Recurrent consumer spending was flat. It was a 1% increase and accounts for 63% of total net revenue. So that ended, ended up being $585.9 million.
1: So one that's of the interesting big. things here is that, that story that, that came out about Strauss Zelnick's payment tied to recurrent spending. The fact... Oh, you didn't see this?
0: I did not see this.
1: There, He has a bonus structure in place tied to recurrent spending.
0: Oh, Lord.
1: Yeah, really interesting, right?
0: Okay, I mean, that's... We talk about CEOs that look at games as products. Mm-hmm. Mm, there it is. Digital net revenue increased 9% to $833.3 million, which accounts for 90% of total net revenue. Mm-hmm. The largest contributors to the Gap net revenue include NBA 2K22 and 21, GTA Online and GTA 5. Y'all, it's... We'll get there. Y'all. We'll okay, get there. I know. I know we'll get there, we'll but get it's just... There. It's galling. We'll get there. Tiny Tina's Wonderland, which actually might... Call me in? I, I haven't. I haven't had a chance to play it. I might play it. I think I might play it. I'm not really a Borderlands fan, but Tiny Tina's Wonderlands looks great. Uh, Red Dead Redemption 2 and Red Dead Online. WWE 2K22, which is supposed to be good. Mm-hmm. And much
1: th- better than the abysmal w- uh, WWE 2K20? That
0: was odd. That was a disaster. The,
1: the bugs on that one. Man.
0: That was a disaster. Oh, boy. Watching, watching that play out was sure fun. Uh, Top 11 and two dots. Net income was $111 million down from $218.8 million. So about half. Mm -hmm. So there was higher cost of goods and operating expenses that accounted for that. Net bookings were up 8% to $845.8 million. But net booking from our current spending were down 6%. They accounted for 60% of total net bookings. Again,
1: this is one of those things where I think you're seeing the impact of experiential spending Yes, opening up again.
0: Absolutely. This is the long tail slump that we've been talking about. Mm-hmm. Remember how we said at the beginning of the show, this is a recurrent theme? Yep. It's a recurrent theme. Digital net bookings were up 4% to $765.8 million and were 91% of total net bookings overall. Yep. The largest contributors were, no big surprise there, NBA 2K22, Grand Theft Auto Online, and Grand Theft Auto 5, Tiny Tina's Wonderlands, WWE 2K22, Red Dead Redemption 2, and Red Dead Online, Top 11, Two Dots, and Grand Theft Auto The Trilogy, The Definitive Edition. That's like such a
1: mouthful. It is. For a bad experience. Wait, wait, hold on. There's going to be more. Do I have
0: to hold on to my butt again? I don't want to hold on to my butt
1: anymore. You did it once. The image is now in my head. And on my phone. What? No.
0: <laughs> what is happening?
1: Uh, full year for fiscal 22. Net revenue increased 4% to 3.5 billion bells. Recurring consumer spending was up 6% and accounted for 65% of total net revenue or $2.275 billion. Digital net revenue was up 6% to $3.15 billion. Again, 90% of total net revenue. So that mirroring the quarter. Uh, that amounts to $2.835 billion. Largest contributors for the year. This is going to sound really familiar. NBA 2K22 and 21, Grand Theft Auto Online and Grand Theft Auto 5, Red Dead Redemption 2 and Red Dead Online, Grand Theft Auto the Trilogy, the Definitive Edition, <laughs> Borderlands 3, Tiny Two Dots, and Tiny Tina's Wonderlands. Net income was $418 million, down from $588.9 million. That's 29% drop due to higher operating expenses. Net bookings were down for the year by 4% to $3.41 billion. Net bookings from recurrent spending were down 6%, again, mirroring that quarter, right, to, uh, I didn't write the number down, and represented 64% of total net bookings, $2.18 billion. Digital net bookings were down 2% to $3.08 billion and represented, again, 91% of total net bookings. All the same players, again, on the digital net bookings side for the full year that we saw on Q4, pretty much. Yep. Um, some other notes from the presentation, I didn't listen to the call today, but I did look at, look at the presentation. Kerbal 2 is coming this fiscal year, but the console version was delayed again with an anticipated arrival now in fiscal 24, which ends March 31, 2024. That game has been, that game has been a tough one. Now, look, as we've said over and over again, you're dealing with a game that is effectively an astrophysics simulator.
0: And it's a game that... Like
1: thrust and...
0: It's not even just that. It's a game that requires an immense amount of hand holding at the beginning of the process. Which and the I first game didn't
1: have. They
0: didn't have it at all.
1: They're building out building out the tutorial, the onboarding for this. It has to be taking a ton of time.
0: I would imagine so. It would have to. I mean, you were essentially teaching lessons in physics. I mean, I'm very excited for all of our children to play it. Yes. I'm not going to play it because I don't think I'm smart enough for it. All right. All right. But that's you're, okay.
1: You ready? Hold on to your butt.
0: Oh, you I'm not do- holding on to my butt anymore. Gosh, okay, I'm doing real it. Real quick, hold on your butt. Okay, real quick. Okay, I'm all holding right. on to it.
1: GTA Five. Kay. has now sold in Kay. 165 million units.
0: Wow. Wait, hold on. No, no.
1: Is there more? There's more. Okay. When we last reported on Take 2 after Q3, so that was February of this year, uh-huh. they had sold hundred sold in 160 million units.
0: Wait, 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 you wait. Know, you can do the math. Wait, I can do this math. You can do the math. I can math good. That's 5 million units for yes. this quarter. Yes.
1: Now, I want to talk, because uh, somebody reached out to me and said, are you sure that's sold in and not sold through? The slide does actually say sold in. The reason why I'm actually, I reported it, I tweeted this out, I just tweeted it out there, that uh, back in 2013 when I started at Game Informer and even before that, 2012, 2011 when I was at RIP10 and ZTGD when I got started, you know, uh, we had to be very careful about understanding if publishers were reporting sell-in or sell-through. It used to be
0: very, very important. Because
1: pre-digital, pre-day-and-date digital releases.
0: Pre-net bookings.
1: Pre-net bookings. What ended up happening was you would have publishers have very different philosophies about how to ship retail product. Ubisoft was uh, a major offender of what we called <laughs> stuffing the chain.
0: Yeah. Stuffing flooding the, the channel. Flooding
1: the channel, stuffing the channel. And what that meant was they got theirs up front. So they were selling to wholesalers who were paying them up front for an enormous number of copies. And then they would have to make it up on the reserve price, which they never really reported out, so it made all the numbers look better. Other publishers were more conservative and just tried to deliver about what they needed because inventory costs, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. All right. So... In the age of digital, when 90% of your net revenue is coming from digital, I don't have a whole lot of problem reporting out a sell-in number, which is the amount that either goes to in physical to retailers or is sold through digitally. So that's what sell-in amounts to in the digital era. So even if we're off by a little bit, it's not going to be so drastic that it's going to affect that number.
0: Million. It's about 5 million Copies. For
1: a game that came out in September 2013.
0: Nine years after release. Can they right. just give me bully too?
1: Well, and the other thing is people, every time this gets reported out, the same comments come up and, and my comments were flooded today. My, my mentions were flooded today about people saying we're never going to get GTA six. Cause, and Take Two does have this, this approach with Rockstar games in particular where they will release a version of it on the current console spec. And they might not release the PC version until that decay curve really kicks in. And then they'll release the PC version, which will motivate new sales on console.
0: It's very shrewd. It It is is
1: extremely shrewd.
0: It's a shrewd way of ensuring that your long tail is healthy.
1: But I will say this. For every comment that says we're never going to get GTA 6, I see you. Because that shows me you've been paying attention and you understand how Take-Two approaches Rockstar Games. So pat yourself on the back because you freaking get it. Like you understand what they're doing, so your your concerns are understandable. That said, they want to make bank and they want to kick this this chain off yet again. They want to start the money machine going because here's the thing: while GTA Online might not, change... who knows what's going to happen with GTA Online when GTA Six comes around, you know? But they're they're gonna they're gonna still sell GTA Five copies. It's just going to shrink way down, mm-hmm. and they're going to sell a ton of GTA Six copies. Okay, and they're still going to sell lots of money, okay. so lots of uh, online recurrent spending.
0: Okay, so. We've beaten this dead horse yes, again.
1: But it was the title of the episode, so I had to
0: no, I understand. whip it a little bit. Yeah, whip it real good. Whip it real good.
1: Uh Red Dead Redemption 2 moved another million units in the last quarter. That's at 44 million. Uh the $225 million uh, Nordius acquisition is likely have paid a big part in the uh in the the change in net income. Yeah. Uh also they acquired Roll Seven and Dynamixes.
0: Dynamixes? This year? Yeah. Dynamixes. This year? Yeah.
1: Um the Zynga deal, which we talked about at the very top of the show, we promise you we were bookending this. Is expected to close next week on May 23rd.
0: Literally in one week. Literally
1: in one week. Uh their game pipeline for fiscal 23 through 25, real quick. 24 immersive core games. Those are their those are their hardcore, like core market games. The Quarry is coming out in June 10th. That's a super massive games, the uh Until Dawn folks. Mm-hmm. So I know. Very you're excited, excited about that. that. Midnight Suns is due in the second half of this year, mm. cal- the calendar year. Mm. So that could be out as early as July. It just got rated in some places. Ooh. So we'll see what happens. Uh, Kerbal 2, due out Q4. So it's not even due out this calendar year. It's due out between January and March of 2023 on PC and console sometime in fiscal 24. That's that got to be al- a
0: beast to put onto a console.
1: Right. But also when we're talking about Q4 PC versus console sometime, that could also only be like four months apart. Yeah. It might not be that long away. Uh, NBA 2K23, P, uh, PGA, PGA Tour 2K23, WWE 2K23. Okay. What else?
0: So there are 10 indie games. None of them have been announced. 20 mobile games, including GTA The Trilogy, the definitive edition on mobile. I told you there was year.
1: more. Ugh.
0: Seven mid-core games, Tales from the Borderlands apparently is a mid-core game. So the way they describe mid-core games, because that was on a,
1: on a definition slide after you and I talked about it, is games that are, that have similar play to one of their immersive core games, but not quite as much. They're not as deep or they're not as long, which I guess.
0: I guess. I still wouldn't
1: call Tales from the Borderlands a mid-core game.
0: It, it exists in its own universe. Well, but also if
1: you need to kind of be, I mean, you don't have to love
0: Borderlands But
1: Tales from the the Borderlands was amazing.
0: I don't love Borderlands and I would play Tales from the Borderlands. So at any rate, um, eight quote unquote new iterations of previously released titles. So that's the three R's, the re-releases, the remakes and the remasters. Yep. Totaling 69
1: titles. Very nice. 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 So nice. You know
0: what else is nice? Oh my God, we got through this show.
1: We did. Thank you for listening to the Virtual Economy Podcast. We uh especially if this is your first episode. Really appreciate you being here. Follow us on Twitter at virtual econcast. I am at footerish, F-U-T-T-E-R-I-S-H.
0: I am at Amanda Farrow. I'm not spelling my last name. You can just kind of fumble around and find me. I yes. You it's spelled for rough, I guess.
1: You're my favorite Pokemon, for rough.
0: You're my favorite Pokemon, footer-free. <laughs> <laughs> um, you can subscribe to our RSS feed at virtualeconcast.com. We are also available on all major podcasting platforms, including Spotify, iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Amazon, Stitcher, Podcasts. <gasps> Pocket Pocket <gasps> Sam! Oh, yeah, no, right in the face. Always in the face. And more, quite frankly. We're, we're everywhere. We're ubiquitous. We are, in fact, inevitable. We're legion. Oh, Lord. <laughs> I guess we are maybe a little bit legion. Um, if you enjoy this episode, please subscribe. And if possible, on your platform of choice, review the show. Let us know what you think. We want to know.
1: Yep. Uh, you can also DM us with questions. In fact, when we do our new show later this week, we have right now two questions lined up that are awesome. Uh, so I'm very excited to tackle those. You can send them to us at podcast at f or you can DM us at virtual econcast. You can shoot me a DM at footerish. Uh, let's see. We have a Discord. Uh, we'd we love to have you in our Discord community. All you have to do is DM us. We'll send you an invite. Uh, you are welcome to our merry band of of uh, happy business folks.
0: Not just business Not folks. just business folks. Like, but we have
1: lots of fun conversations in there.
0: We do. Lots of fun conversations about everything from tabletop games to business to streaming. People share what they're working on. They share recipes. Like, It's yep. just very wholesome. Absolutely. Extremely wholesome. So we will be back later this week with our news episode. Much shorter. Much shorter. Much shorter. So remember to wash your hands, stay hydrated, and be good to one another.
1: We will see you later this week.